8 p.m. You tuned in to Metro FM Talk here on the Mighty Metro with myself, Ayabonga Dawe. Yeah, and I'd love to hear some of your thoughts, of course, uh, in particular on this conversation we're going to have now on the Social Relief of Distress Grant. And uh, give us a shout on our WhatsApp line. Send us a voice note. Keep it within a minute. Tell us who you are. Vela P. Fanejano Mosquito told us, even said, Vela Wabo Q, I think, Q section of Laz. So yeah, let us know, uh, but uh, keep it just within a minute and uh, please try and record it very far from the radio uh, because I'm not with a lot of feedback. Uh, but please, just slightly, slightly, slightly. So give us a shout there. Send us your voice notes on 079-191-4270. Now, uh, yeah, we did see on Friday, the 22nd, uh, a gazette from the uh, Department of Social Development uh, under the signature of uh, the Minister of Social Development, Lindiwe Zulu, uh, which was outlining, I guess, the criteria and, of course, the beneficiary selection process for the uh, uh, Social Relief of Distress Grant. And uh, these new regulations for the 350 rand a month grant were published on Friday. Now, we did try, as I said earlier on, to catch up uh, with the ministry, and they've promised us that uh, they're going to get back to us. We'll have a sit-down uh, and uh, talk about it once they've uh, clarified some of the concerns that have come through from the public. And uh, least of all, from civil society organizations, including Hashtag Pay the Grants, the Social Policy Initiative, the IEJ, the Institute for Economic Justice, and Black Sash. And I'm joined on the line uh, to talk through some of the concerns that they have insofar as the criteria and uh, the regulations and beneficiary selection processes are concerned. Uh, when it comes to this grant, I'm joined on the line by a member of the Hashtag Pay the Grants campaign. Julie Eccles is my guest. Julie, good evening and welcome. Uh, good evening, Ayazan, and good evening to your listeners. And thank you for covering these important issues with us. Yes, yes, it's always a pleasure, Julie. And I think these indeed are very important issues, not just to me, but to the people who listen mm. to the show. Julie, what <laughs> is the issue? Now, I know Friday come Gazette time, uh, and uh, I've been saying for a while now, and I'm going to keep on repeating it, that maybe we need a slot in this show where we just talk through what are the big things that come out of Gazettes. But you guys do a good job uh, of uh, alerting us to some of what is in these Gazettes, especially insofar as social policy is concerned. And it seems this time around, uh, while you welcome the extension of the Social Relief of Distress Grant, you are concerned uh, about its design. What is concerning you? Uh, and maybe for the benefit of our listeners, you might want to explain what is different in this set of regulations uh, from the earlier and maybe, I guess, the uh, preceding sets of regulations around uh, this 350 rand ground. Right. Um, no, so what's different this time is simply the framework. Mm. So um, what had happened is that the state of disaster ended um, and yet uh, the grants, uh, as we happily noted, were um, extended until next year. And so there was no legal framework for the government to continue these grants mm. because the state of disaster ended. Um, and so the criteria is the same, but the problem is that um, they have now uh, reduced the budget from Treasury in order to be able to pay these grants. So we know that people need these grants, they depend on these grants, um, and yet, uh, instead of saying, okay, how many people are we, uh, are, are, are going to apply and, and succeed in getting the grant? They're saying, no, we have a budget. We have a limit, uh, which doesn't make sense. Um, and what they've, what they've also done is, um, they, they've kind of failed to communicate that is enough. So now we have millions of people who have applied for this grant 
and um, they've been rejected or there's been no communication because you have to reapply fresh as if you're applying for the first time. So uh, that's the issue, and uh, yeah, it's a, very, it's a very painful issue, and we're really disappointed in what's going on. Mm. So, so the key concern, as you say, is around the aggregate resource envelope that is extended to this. Um, so in a sense, what it means is that if you have much, a much higher number of applicants that, um, you know, if the money is done, it's done. And I think in the Gazette, they also indicate that this is only possible insofar as the resources for it are available. Right. Exactly. And um, what this kind of shows to us is that the government, and in particular Treasury, kind of looks down. They look down on the Department of Social Development and they look down on its function. And its function is to uh, ensure the well-being and dignity of millions of people. Uh, in other words, this shows us the kind of attitude that they have towards uh, poor people, uh, that they're somehow less human. Um, and what we also wanted to note is that, uh, you know, we uh, have been lobbying for an increase in those grants to 624 rand minimum. Um, just over the past year, from 2021 to 2022, the food basket has increased by more than 350 rand. In other words, it's already erased the, um, the benefit of this grant <laughs> in and of itself. And, and, you know, really the government should be looking at controlling food prices. Mm. Uh, yeah. Julie? Um, so, Ho- Julie, so- let's do this. Let's do this. Hold the line there for me for a second because I want to come back to the yeah. issue that you're raising around. Uh, price controls. Uh, I think it is a very important issue, especially uh, with uh, the onslaught on the uh, you know household uh, expenditure baskets, uh, least of all of poor households. And I want us to come back to that after this break. Get extra savings with Checkers Liquor Shop. Like to on Metro FM Talk. Yeah, seven minutes it is uh, before 8pm. It's our headline segment here on Metro FM Talk. Joined on the line to talk about uh, the new regulations governing the Social Relief of Distress Grant by Julie Eccles, a member of the Hashtag Pay the Grants campaign. And uh, Julie, just as we continue with our discussion, and we'll come back, I guess, to the point you were making around trying to arrest some of the sort of uh, rapid rise in uh, all of the costs uh, that uh, are very much a big part of the household uh, expenditure basket for poorer households. But let's first talk about, mm-hmm. I guess, what you made of the objective criteria here. Now, a lot of things placed on the table. One, who can and can't. Um, and mm. this, of course, also includes, you know, uh, South African nationals. It also includes permanent residents, uh, Basutu and Zimbabwean nationals who are on special uh, dispensations with uh, uh, the South African government. And so, in a sense, a very wide net. But uh, a big part of it also is about saying, we are going to run some analysis on your bank accounts uh, to show that indeed you are... Uh, over a long period of time, sort of not receiving any money in those bank accounts and uh, you don't appear on the tax register. What do you make of all of these design features that are part of the social mm. relief of distress grant and the ability of those who need it to access it? So, um, yes, once, once an applicant applies, as you just uh, mentioned, uh, their, their application is checked against the UIF database, which We've seen it's been out of date, um, and that's no fault of the applicant. Uh, your bank account is tested, as you say, and you're tested to see if you belong to any other social program that would disqualify you for this. And what this really does is it hurts 
those most vulnerable people who need God the most. Because it's even more difficult for them uh, if there's a mistake or if they need to appeal. And what it also does is, like, you, me, everyone, none of us can survive on 350 rand a month. We all have money coming into our bank account, whether it's borrowing from a friend, whether it's money that's intended for a brother or sister or a family member. So it's silly to have these kind of ridiculous tests. It doesn't make sense. And it really hurts the people who need this God the most. Mm. So what we're calling for is a universal, um, uh, we're actually calling for a universal basic uh, income. And that would do away with all this exclusionary criteria that's really uh, unnecessary and doesn't make sense. Mm. And, and what would that look like? I mean, does that mean every and any body can access it? Or is it about every and any body? Because universal might be universal in the true sense or universal among those who are unemployed and fall out of the safety net. Right. So it, it would be universal. So at the moment, um, uh, it, it means that it includes everyone, even people who are working, because 60% of working people uh, can't make ends meet, are living in poverty. Uh, we know that a lot of people who are employed uh, are paying some call it black tax, where their, their money, uh, you know, uh, has to go to help family members and so on. Um, and furthermore, we are against this idea that if you are working, or if you are not working, that you are now receiving a grant, and as soon as you get a job, or as soon as you try and get a job, that gets taken away from you. Mm. Because it disincentivizes people to, to find work. And, um, yeah, it creates, it creates an incentive problem. I won't say that people don't want to work. Of course people want to work. But people don't want to take that risk if they feel that, oh, no, I might lose this one thing I have to survive. Mm. And we really need to start looking at how our whole economy is. I mean, we can get into it for hours and hours, but, um, you know, we, we, we live in, a, in an economy that really exploits people, um, especially mm. Poor black people, um, and always has. Yeah, and that's yeah. because we've never addressed any of these problems. Julie, um, that are, I, I don't want yeah. us to leave the point you've just made, because I think mm. you, you already highlights how foundational cheap labor has mm. been to the South African economy and how we understand it. Uh, and right. I would certainly agree with you there. But I'm also interested in your view as civil society organizations. How you think through this sort of articulation between the 350 SRD and other forms of wage support. Now, when I say wage right. support, uh, I, I, I mean, I'm referring may, maybe to two things here. The one is what we call the stipend system in, within the expanded and community works program. And the other might be, I guess, the floor in the economy, which is the national minimum wage. So in a sense, you've got the 350, you've got maybe another, say, 2,000 or maybe close to 3,000 insofar as the stipend if somebody works the allotted number of hours uh, in public works and then of course the just shy of 4,000 rand or just above 4,000 rand that the minimum wage would be. Now a lot of people have asked like what, what, what is the co-articulation there? So what, what is the thinking? Do I start somebody off at the 350? Do I then onboard them onto an expanded public works program where then as they exit that hopefully carrying a skill they might be able to get an entry level you know a job or occupational role um, at somewhere around the minimum wage. Any any thoughts on that? Right. So, I mean, I think let's just start with the sort of right-wing myth, right? 
that we have on the one hand grants and on the other hand jobs. Sure. No, sure. Um, you know, uh, the working class is united in the fact that um, all, all working class people are trying to build a better life for themselves, to work and also unpaid work, you know, through uh, uh, care work that mm. a lot of women do, right? That no one recognizes as real work. Sure, sure. And, and at the end of the day, if, if we say, okay, you can have a, a grant, but that grant means that you have to now do a certain amount of work um, or do a certain thing they wanted in putting that exclusionary criteria onto the person. So they should receive the grant. Um, and I know, I know it sounds radical, but they should receive the grant simply because it's your right to dignity. It's your right to uh, a, a decent life. Um, and, um, and then that, uh, we really need to trust that because we're calling for a, a, a universal basic grant of 1,500. Even 1,500 is not really enough to, to survive properly. And so, of course, people are still going to be looking for work. Of course, people are still going to be searching for ways to create a livelihood, um, to sell things, whatever they can do to study. Um, and so we don't believe people are lazy. <laughs> You know, every, everyone is quote-unquote lazy, except for me, you know? Um, and we don't believe that. We think that uh, people are incredibly hard-working um, and want to improve their situation. So, yeah, there's no work. Um, I mean, and I agree with yeah. you. We can't assume for as long as mm-hmm. we've done in South Africa that there's this multitude, a universe of opportunity, universe of jobs just waiting for people limited or no skill at the bottom end, you know, low-wage, low-productivity type work. It's not there. I mean, I think that's the reality in South Africa. That often the right. argument when people say, "Yeah, well, it's grants or jobs." Well, where are the jobs? I mean, I'm sure right. everybody would want to take a job, but where are they? Exactly. Yeah. So, so we're demanding. You know, I think we, as civil society and as as working class formations, we should be demanding both. Mm, we are. We should sure, be demanding sure. both. And and it would take ten years. They say economists say it will take ten years to even get to the level of jobs pre twenty twenty twenty. So, I mean, in the interim, you know. We cannot simply allow people, especially children who are malnourished, mm. etc. We can't. We cannot afford not to look after them. We have to, as a country, stand in solidarity and look after everyone because that has further implications down the road of uh, people who are not uh, developing well, who cannot uh, study, who cannot be part of the economy, and that's devastating. And the health impacts are also mm. devastating. Mm. Our health system cannot afford it either. So it's like whether you're talking from a humanitarian point of view, whether you're talking from a solidarity point of view, whether you're talking from just um, a practical or economic point of view, it's not sensible the way it's possibly going down. So we we really demand that that working class and poor and uh, ordinary people be seen as fully human um, and that they be allowed to... um, yeah, to your life and dignity. Julie, last question on my end. Bit of a scenario mm-hmm. here, just for a second. I think a lot of people sure. have lamented that the 350 rand is not enough. And of course, I don't think anybody has ever said it's enough, right? Um, right. But I think, you know, the nature of what it is, um, is aimed at really being a band-aid. So, so I think let's work with that for a second. But 350 right. rand probably goes much further if all of the things I spend money on are provided by the public. So if, so if right. I, for instance, I spend the money on transport, spend the money on schooling, spend the money on uniforms, spend the money on, you know, uh, healthcare, 
and food. Uh, you may yes. mentioned, you know, price controls and food earlier. If all of those things to some degree are either provided communally or by the state or the public as per the social wage, as people often say, then that 350 is probably a lot more in my hand than 350 in a context where I still need to be paying bus fare, still paying for healthcare, still paying for school uniforms, still paying for food and all many other things whose price trajectory, as economists tell us, is certainly on the up. Uh, talk to me about how important, I guess, this is alongside existing social wage measures uh, in order to make it effective to the households that need it most. No, de- definitely, um, I think you've nailed it. So that is the function of the state, is to ensure that our basic needs are met and that we have the liberty to pursue our dreams and to further ourselves as human beings, right? Um, it is there to ensure things like roads mm. and definitely things like uh, schooling and healthcare. And that includes uniforms, it includes school lunches, it includes all of that. And if, if, if we want to have a decent society, mm. like all of that needs to be provided. We cannot leave it up to the private sector and we cannot leave it up to the so-called free market uh, orthodoxy because there's only one thing that the free market thinkers religiously believe in, and that is um, uh, profit. Mm. So if the school is not profitable, I don't want to yeah, run yeah. the school, or I don't want to have the school. And that's why we have the state. The state is so important in ensuring that. When we're talking about jobs, there is one entity that can guarantee jobs, mm. and that's the state. Mm. Through infrastructure projects, uh, we Public need teachers, yeah. we need, yeah, yeah. Well, we need a development day. Yeah. Employer of last resort and I guess risk taker of first instance. That, that's <laughs> the kind of state we're looking for. And maybe next time, Julie, you must remind me. I must invite you alongside the Free Market Foundation. I think it would make for a fascinating <laughs> discussion. I would love that, yeah. Thank, Thank you, you so much, much Julie. Thank you so much. Yeah. Wish you all of the best. We'll be chatting with the Minister of Social Development, Linda Wazulu, in the next few days. And uh, certainly hope uh, that uh, she'll be able to engage with and address some of the concerns that are being raised by civil society groupings, such as hashtag pay the grants. But yeah, we'd love to hear some of your voice notes. Do let us know. And this is Kona Napana on our telephone line, 89 